Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Are you well? Wonderful. It is going to be a good week. I'm excited. And um, we are at the end of a short series called How to Build a Nation. Here's the honest truth. When we named it How to Build a Nation, we didn't have any answers on how to build a nation. I'm not a president of a nation. I'm not. Uh, the, uh, it's a shock. I know. Sorry, Josh. Thank you for that, though. And, um, but I don't have answers on how to build a nation. I just have the Word of God. And all we're trying to achieve with this series, every time Paul writes a book, book of Galatians, what's the issue in Galatia? Legalism. So he writes a book and he presents grace as a far better answer and a far better picture of Jesus in the book of Galatians. In every book of the Bible Paul writes, he has something called a pastoral concern. He's a pastor not just to the church, he's a pastor to the city, and he writes to the church with a concern, and he addresses that concern. In the book of Ephesians, in Corinthians, there's chaos, and he writes into that church with a concern. As we started the series, all that we had was a concern. And this was my concern. The concern was men and women standing with language of faith and even sometimes statements on faith on social media. But behind the scenes, there's fear that's posturing our spirits at this time because there's been a lot going on in our nation. And we spoke about it a couple of weeks. There's, it's been an, interest, it's an interesting time to live. It's an interesting place to live. It's an interesting world that we live in as things are changing so rapidly. Thank you. Jerry taught me recently frothing doesn't just mean a dog with rabies. Frothing means you're excited. The world is changing. We've got to change our lingo. We all have to learn. I appreciate the lessons. But my concern is we are called a people of what? A people of faith. Ours is a gospel, a gospel underpinned by a currency, a currency of faith. And we are pulled into that narrative and that story by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that anchors me in His faithfulness. And I get to be faithful because He is, I get to be faithful because He is faithful. And all we're trying to do is present an answer. And the answer isn't these are the 12 steps. The answer isn't also don't go overseas, don't move. That's not what I'm addressing. And I've had one or two people Friends of mine who listen from distant nations and be like, oh, I feel bad. It's not about that. It's about as believers, we have one currency that brings glory to our king, that brings him joy in life, and that currency is faith. And all we are called to do is make the decisions we make in faith, to look at the world we are faced with with faith, because our faith isn't positioned in ourselves or in governments. It's in who Jesus is. And so as we preach this series, we're presenting that, well, I believe, as Acts 17 says, that there's exact times, exact places God allocates His people to live. I have a theology of place. And when I look at the Word of God, I see that there always seems, purpose always seems to be related to place. Think about it. David didn't just fight Goliath anywhere. God took him on a journey to feed his brothers on a battlefield, and in a place, he fought a Goliath. Daniel faced the, the lions in the lion's den 67 years after being in exile for 67 years in a place serving a foreign king. God has you and I here for a reason, a reason to operate in currency of faith in this place at this time to bring him glory. I don't think I live here by chance. I, I look at Joshua and here God says to Joshua, go and inherit the land. But just after that, he says, actually, 
be strong and courageous. And then he says later, be very strong and courageous because I'm telling you, wherever you live as a believer, if you're going to live, live in faith, where the employment levels are at 97% or 27%, where the, the murder rate is at this percent or this percent, you need faith. It's only faith that pleases your king. And our pastoral concern behind a series like How to Build a Nation is not make this decision or make this decision. That's not my job. My job is to keep calling men and women to faith. And if we'll keep doing that and if we'll keep responding in faith, we'll see that actually what should be missing from our stories are stories underpinned by fear, but rather stories underpinned by faith. My Bible tells me where, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's no fear. My Bible tells me when I posture myself and position myself in the presence of the Lord, fear leaves. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to send it out of Cape Town, bind it in the name of Jesus. It just leaves because I'm in the presence of the one who is completely opposite to fear. And God calls me to position myself. I love Isaiah 55 and the Passion Translation. He goes through the first seven or eight verses. just like, oh, the enemy and the attack and the challenges. And you can just see he's getting beaten down. And then the author, the, 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 the translator of that version says, pause in his presence. Just as like, pause. And he begins to speak the promises of God. And you see the writer begin to rise up. I'm telling you, all this time, all that's going on in the nation should cause us to one thing, to pause. But don't just pause. Pause in His presence. Pause in His Word. Pause in His promises. Pause in His faithfulness. Go write down how He has been faithful above circumstance and situation. And I promise you at this time, we'll find faith to be the blessing that we are called to be at this nation, at this time, to see the kingdom of God advanced. I've never been more excited to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because I've I, as myself, as a 40-year-old man, I want to speak about Jonah a little bit tonight. I know Gabe did two weeks ago. But if I would have preached Jonah when I was 10 years old, I would have preached the whale as the hero. I mean, like, how amazing. This whale knows what to do. I, I would have liked the whale. At 20 years old, if I'd preached, I was, I was young. I was studying. I had the world at my fingertips. I would have preached and gone, yeah, Jonah, you're a bit of a pop, eh? You just don't really know what's going on. You're just backing out. Like, seriously, God has been faithful, done great things through you. If I'd preached it when I was 30 and all of a sudden married and, and maybe I start seeing Jonah's angle, like he has a point. That place, Nineveh, was bad. Now at 40, outside of faith, I would preach with three kids, some responsibilities, their futures. If, if, I, if I find myself out of faith and out of the presence of God, I'd preach it like, geez, Jonah had a point. But when I look at the story of Jonah, I realize the only difference that caused the reason for him to come out the front of the well and not the back of the well is faith. My salvation comes from the Lord. I think he would have still come out the well, but he would have come out the other side if there wasn't faith in his story. But too soon. Don't worry, we'll get there. We spoke about Elijah and how he went from this dealing with the prophets of Baal to the next day running because of one message from Jezebel. Just one message. I'm coming after you. He's just sorted 400 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, 17. And the next day gets one message. Maybe this week you got one message. That message from the doctor on Friday afternoon, you're waiting for a diagnosis. Oh, sorry, couldn't get a hold of you, speak to you on Monday. And the whole weekend, anxiety. Maybe you read a news article 
A lady came up to me recently and said, I, 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 I spun out and, and completely lost my bearings in life because I heard a, one of our politicians in our nation say that something about white people in this nation. And it caused her to fear to such a degree she had to go for counseling and get a, a counselor in her world because she lost her bearings. Why? Because one message from one little man of this earth became louder than the promises of the Father in heaven. And it shifted her position. So our man today is Jonah. But I want to present to you, as I did in the morning two weeks ago, just an idea of Jonah and then a few thoughts. Because the first time Jonah's mentioned is not in the book of Jonah. Jonah, son of Amittai, was mentioned in 2 Kings 14. In this context, there's an evil king in town. He's ruling the land. But something happens. It says the boundaries of Israel are restored. The wider boundaries are brought back. It's the boundaries of the nation have been made small. But under the evil, the rule of an evil king, it says the boundaries of the people are restored. What do you, I believe you and I are called to at this time in this nation? We are called to restore the boundaries of God's people, even under challenge and trial. Let me read to you. 2 Kings 14, verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Everyone got that? You all know all of them. It's okay. It's not that serious. He, who, this king, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. So, so he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't turn away from any of the sins of his father. He had no nuances. He was bad. Then it says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. Who? The evil king. But let's find out what actually happened. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. God uses a God-man to speak to an evil king, a word from the Lord, a word from the presence of God to an evil king. You know what happens? The boundary lines of God's people are restored. The very essence of salvation comes from a word yasa, which means a spacious place. And the problem is sin and voices from Jezebel and other voices break into our life, begin to posture us in fear, and our boundary lines become small. But God used a man named Jonah to speak one word to a foreign king, an evil man, and use that evil man to restore the boundary lines of Israel. What's your and my responsibility right now in South Africa? We are the boundary line restorers. We are the ones who speak the words of heaven to a world that lacks the ability to hear him and see him. And it's not up to just uh, uh, use Angus Buchan. He, he seems like the guy. You know, I'm not a president. I'm not. Use Angus. He's had, you know. No, well, the curtain got torn like Tyler preached a couple of weeks ago. And because the curtain is torn, we can all receive a word from the Lord for this nation. It's just will we bring it. See, the only difference between this word and the word that Jonah got in the book of Jonah is that the one word he delivered to someone else for them to do something about it in the book of Jonah, it's different. God gave him a word for his life to become a boundary line restorer. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to restore the boundary line to Nineveh because there's evil and chaos there. And I know Gabe preached on Jonah a few weeks ago, but I really felt to keep speaking and to keep challenging in this area. And I want to mention a few thoughts and land in, well, how do you know what the word of the Lord is? Is that a helpful thing? 
It's the thing I hear, I get asked the most. How do you hear God? I, I remember, how do you hear God? For is, this, is he the right guy? Yes, Fiona, just trust God. No, I mean, sorry, that was in confidence. I shouldn't have. Don't get insecure, Gavis. But trust God. Is, is this future? No, trust God. What's the word of the Lord? No, there are times God wants to speak. And on the big things, not the color of your socks, but the direction to walk and shift your life and focus your energy and to invest your resources, your time, you need a word from God. So I love this. Jonah starts out with this in Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The same guy. The guy who with confidence and courage brought a word to an evil king and changed the course of a nation, changed the boundary lines of a nation. To that same guy, God brings a word. You would think, like Elijah, who just had a big victory, he would have this God confidence. But that doesn't happen. See, he's got prejudice in his heart. He's got pain in his heart. He's got smallness in his heart. He's got fear in his heart. But I want to just say this. Christians without a word of the Lord are in trouble. We're no different. We're like little boats on a seashore just blowing around. What's the word of the Lord? Oh, Mark, I haven't heard God speak. No, God's spoken. What's the word of the Lord? Yes, he will speak rhema words to your spirit and to your soul, directional words that will change, and he'll use people. I had someone speak a word over me this morning. It's, it's profoundly got inside me. I understand that God speaks that way, but God also speaks how to live our lives in faith, how to posture ourselves. You want to learn how to posture yourself? Posture yourself in faith. In faith with your finances, in faith with your time, in faith with your future, post yourself in the Word of God. He has spoken, and He continues to speak. When God speaks, though, He brings a word, a specific word, a specific will of the Lord word to Jonah. Please understand that when you ask God for a word, it's not a suggestion you're going to get back. It's not seven options on potential routes you could choose. When God says, go to Nineveh, when God says, make a decision in the area of how you invest in your time, your talents, your sexuality, your relationships, make a decision when you do that. And God's not making a suggestion. He is God speaking, and you are called to submit yourself to the Word of God. That's how this works. There's a king. He's on his throne. When I go to him and I ask, I'm not asking, hey, kingy, suggest a way I could maybe go that might be better for me. He's going, no, I'm going to tell you what's better for my kingdom. And you get pulled into that. And when you follow that, there's the blessing, the favor, the abundance, and the provision of a king in your life. You see, I want that in my life. And sometimes, like Jonah, it's easier to give words. And in the church I grew up in, something like, I received the word was like a common thing. God's got thousands of prophecies, files of prophecies, and people would give prophecies, but then sometimes we're not always so good at receiving them. Like God wants you to go to Uzbekistan. No, we won't go. See, that's what happens with Jonah. God speaks. So there's an, this question we have to ask, when last did you inquire of God of his will and his ways? When else do you just ask? The Bible says, ask of me. I'll give you the nations. Why would I not tell you your next step? Ask of me. Will you ask of him? Sin keeps us from asking. Shame keeps us from asking. Pain keeps us from asking. No, unhitch those trailers and ask. And step into more that he has 
See, because there's these things that keep asking. And then it says this in chapter 1. It carries on. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The great city of Nineveh. See, in chapter 3, after the whale incident and Jonah's been spat out of the whale on the beach, he's three days walk from Nineveh. Oh, surprise. The whale knew what he was doing. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to us the message. Like, oh, the great city of Nineveh. What was so great about the city of Nineveh? Because it also says this in verse 8. When the king decrees, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Oh, this is a great city and a city of evil ways and violence. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. What city do we live in? We live in a great city, but a city of evil ways and violence. Gone hard. Not meant to put our heads in the sand and say, it's not happening. No, it's happening. I love how honest the Bible is. It's happening. But God says, will you go? Will you take the word and with courage and faith in your story, will you become someone who restores the boundary lines of my people? I love, we have a lady in the morning community named Lee Miller. She's a teacher, and she drives into the one, one of the roughest, toughest areas of our city to be a teacher in that area because she feels called to be in that space. I love that. That's what everyday heroes look like. That's what Christians look like. That's who we are called to be. People who respond to the Word of God, she could get a cushy job in another suburb, and that job's great for someone else, but God had a word for her, and it sustains her as she drives through traffic into one of the roughest areas where the stats of violence against women are massive. She drives in there with the sustaining power of the knowledge that her father has a will for her life, and he is good, and he is faithful, and he is kind, and he is true. See, Nineveh was great. It was important on trading routes. It, it had people of all cultures. It had diversity, a lot like our city. It had lots of, of cultures happening there. But you know what was also there? 120,000 people. So why is Cape Town great? There's diversity and there's opportunities. And there's all sorts of things. But there's 3.7 million people. 3.7 million people who need the gospel. 3.7 million people, many of whom are riddled with fear and anxiety. Could we be a light? See, the storm continues, and what happens, and we're going to jump back to chapter 1. The storm gets, it says the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? He just says, and eventually it boils down to, it's me. It's the God of heaven, throw me overboard. But I love this, the next part. It says, now the Lord, verse 17, sorry, a little all over the place. I want to tell you the Lord provides, point number three. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. I don't know what your theology of provision looks like. What's your, is provision just dollars in the bank? Hashtag too blessed to stress. Hashtag I, I, God provided. Jehovah Jireh provided a whale to swallow him up. Oh, God can't do that. It wasn't a real whale. God can, man can train dolphins and whales. Do you think God can't? Hold a bishop and a dolphin jumps through a hoop, and we worry. In the book of Jonah, God trained a worm. Used a worm to go and eat Jonah's little tree. We struggle with the whale. It's not the biggest miracle in the book. Read the Bible. And it says he provided. See, it's sometimes the things that are swallowing us up, Maybe God provided to get us back on the course that he had for us. 
the good, perfect, and pleasing root. Oh, I'm getting swallowed up by challenge. I'm getting swallowed up by death. Well, God wants to get you back on his road. He wants to get you back on the redemptive road where you start restoring others' boundaries. I want that to be my life. Number four, and probably the most powerful scripture for me in the book of Jonah. It's four chapters long. If you're intimidated by reading the book of Ecclesiastes, go read Jonah. It's four chapters, two pages. In my Bible, it's page 810 and 811. Go read the Bible. We're doing the Bible study, and it's the five books of the Bible that are one chapter long. This Bible study course was designed for the ADHD kids. It's designed for me. One chapter. You have to stay in for one chapter. This is the one. Jump in. But I want to read from chapter 2, verse 9. In Jonah context, he's in the belly of the whale. Dead fish, smelly, dirty, running from God. Feeling sorry for himself, probably about to die. He doesn't have much longer. I don't know how long you can survive in the belly of a whale. He cries out this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from, God, from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes to the Lord. You know what had happened? There hadn't been a promise. If you pray that prayer, you'll get out of here. There just was a revelation moment. A remembering who he was. A remembering who God was. A remembering the faithfulness of God. And in that he says, salvation comes from the Lord. But that scripture at the start, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. Anything that is an idol. Like money in the bank. Is it worthless? No. Is it an idol? It becomes worthless. Like things you can't afford becoming part of your financial story and saying, God, where is your provision? Or maybe he's in the provision. And maybe he's wanting to take you on a journey, a journey bigger than what does it feel like right now. Maybe he's wanting to show you his ways. See, because we cling to worthless idols. I went back to a city I lived most of my life, and there's electric fences on every house. Every house. Went back to the house we used to live, six levels of electric fences, six wires high. Well, if I can just protect my castle, if I can just protect this idol, if I can just keep safe in here. No, were you clinging to a little ship that you made and it can't sustain the winds when they blow? Salvation comes from the Lord. He says, God speaks again. I want to jump ahead a little bit. Again, I'm throwing you, go read Jonah. It's not a hard book. It's an easy book. If you can't read the book of Jonah, this one will help you. This is the one my kids are reading. It's got pictures. It's, it's all there. It says this. It says, just a bit later, don't worry about going there. Jonah, there he made himself a shelter, sat down and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah preaches the gospel, goes and builds himself a shelter. See, our shelters become the caves in which we live. I'm not talking about having a house. That's a good thing. I'm not talking about having a roof. That's a good thing. Elijah ran where? From defeating 400 prophets of Baal to where? A cave. Where did David run? To a cave. 
Where does man always run? To a cave. Now we've just made it a nice thing called a man cave. Put TVs and HDMI and, and DSTV and Xboxes and still a cave. God wants to get man out of the cave. God wants to pull man into a bigger God story. And any shelters that we put up that we think sustain us, I promise you they will come dumbing down. Because you know what God also provided? And I'm not going to go and read it. God provided a scorching east wind. God provided a worm to eat the leaf that kept him shade. God provided all these things. Why? Because God wanted the God man to rise up. And I'm telling you, this time in South Africa, I'm not saying God has provided all this. I'm just saying, if we will trust Him, if we will have faith in Him, He will use us to be His men and women at this time in faith, to bring courage. And when you go in as accountant to a business that are under pressure and they're wanting to do silly things with their finances, no, speak faith and courage in them. Tell them, fix your eyes on Jesus. Salvation comes from the Lord. And people who want to run from marriages, no, take them by the back of their neck. A man phoned me from Durban, said, I think my friend's having an affair. I've got every reason to believe. I said, well, Go and get him by the scruff of the neck and tell him that salvation comes only from the Lord and take him to his knees on repentance and help him walk this journey. But because his only way forward is not to run to a man cave. He wants to run from his wife because he thinks that's an answer. No, that's the lie. Get on your knees in repentance before the God of heaven and cry out for his salvation and his life. And there's freedom on the other side. If a man can do it from the belly of a wave, we can do it next to our beds. On the beachfronts of our city, we can trust Him. So let me jump right to the end, because I honestly believe, and I've said it so many times in this pulpit, that the safest place I could be, see, safety is an idol in our world, and it's a good thing. It's something we should have. The safest place I could be is in the will of God. I've said that so many times. For, for David, it was on a battlefield. For Daniel, it was in a pit. With, for, for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, it was in a fire. For, for others like Daniel, it, it, for the disciples, it was in a little boat in the middle of a storm with Jesus. It's always where Jesus is. That's my safest place. See, we start making our own shelters, and we say, Jesus, come into my shelter. Come in. It's so nice and inviting, inviting in here. I've never called you to make your own shelters. I will be the shadow. You come under the shadow of my wing. But I want to give you five minutes, six minutes, on what it is to hear the will of God, to pursue. It says this in Romans 2, verse 12. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, perfect, and pleasing will. Can you say good, perfect, and pleasing? Who wants that for their lives? I, I want that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's good, perfect, and pleasing to him. And it's good, perfect, and pleasing for me. It won't always seem good, perfect, and pleasing to me. When I tell my son to stop running or get off the skateboard that leads into the road because I know that there's a car that could come down the road, he doesn't think. He thinks I'm just the party pooper. Oh, dad doesn't want me to go on the skateboard. No, I don't want you dead. It's that simple. It's a good, perfect, and pleasing will for you in that scenario. But I'm not God. There is a God in heaven who sees it all. He says, I've got a good, perfect, and pleasing will for your life. Stop trying to build yourself a shelter. He says, well, what does that look like? He says, well, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many people here are under 25? You stick your hands up. I know you're here. You've got some big calls to make. Your biggest decisions are ahead of you. 
your biggest calls. I like being able to test and approve. The Bible says you can. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. It says you can test and approve what the Lord's will is. I want to know what the will of my Father who sees it all, has all power, all knowledge. I want to know what His will is. And I want to test and approve what His will is. Why? Because I, like every man on the place of this planet, it's been a long day, on the face of this planet, the planet of this place, on the face of this planet, wants to know and has a doubting Thomas inside of me. And God knows that. He says, well, you want to know what my good, perfect, and pleasing will? You want to test and approve what it is? Well, let me tell you how. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world. Do you know what a conformer is? It's a, it's a piece of steel in the shape of a shoe. And when you want really fancy leather shoes, you take a hammer and you pull that leather over that conformer and you beat that leather. Bah! until the leather takes the shape of the conformer and will hold that shape regardless of the storm it comes under as you wear it. A conformer is something you put in your eye that when an eye gets damaged and they're going to put a replacement eye in, they put a conformer in to hold the shape of that eye. The problem is there's not only one conformer in this world. There are thousands. It's voices on social media. It's voices in the news. It's an SMS from a Jezebel in your life. Please, if anyone's name is Jezebel here, bless you. And it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it gets awkward quickly. And, um, but but it's, it's that thing that pushes you back into a posture of fear. It's that one message, that one voice, like the voice that came to Elijah, that pushes you back into a posture of fear that is a powerless posture. And Jerry was standing the other day, we were away, and he had his leg up on the couch looking very cool. And I just took two fingers, I just went like this, kaboof, fell over. Because when you're postured in strength and you're postured in fear, you are easily pushed over. That's just what it is. And the Bible says, I want to post you in faith so that when the winds and the storm, you can test and approve what the will of the Lord is. Do not be conformed. What does that look like? It looks like how you have faith with your finances. It looks like the decisions you make with your time. It looks like how you choose to honor God's word versus some of the principles and philosophies of this world. It looks like when you're looking for a way forward for your marriage, you don't take it from the six points the Cosmo gives me. You go to the word and allow the word of God to conform you. See, I'm a conformer. I want the word of God in my life. I want it to dictate my life. And until I've heard the answer, I will keep persisting on asking, even if I don't like the answer. There's been many times I've asked God some big questions, and I didn't like the answer. But I'm not God. And the second thing as we close says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's forming your mind right now? Meeting people time after time, anxiety, anxiety. Kevin, you're here every week and you preach faith and you speak and on Sunday you're worshiping God. Is it forming your mind? See, if it's not transforming your mind, something else is forming your mind and conforming. God says, I want my spirit and my word to come upon your life to renew your mind. Oh, you don't know the thoughts. Well, bring your thoughts and submit them to the God of heaven so that your mind can be renewed. Oh, Mark, I'm fearful. Now get in the presence of God. Pause in the presence of God. Just pause. Just stop. Just stop. Making plans, running. Just stop. 
I'm not stopping people going to Australia or America or England, wherever you think is a safe place. That's not our agenda in preaching this. I'm just asking Christians to find a posture of faith for their future. Faith that God is with them, that it's not just God is with them coming to my shelter. It's God's will for my life is me to take these next steps. Because I promise you now, the only thing that sustains when the winds and the waves blow is the will of God. The only thing that holds when the challenges come is the will of God. And when the voice starts shouting, you've made a mistake, you've messed up. No, I heard my father. I tested and approved. I allowed myself not to be conformed and I allowed my mind to be renewed. And I'm going to hold this line because the will of God sustains me. And when I'm trembled and when this fear wants to creep into my story, I go back and say, God, what did you say to me undeniably? Not a pastor guy, not your life group leader, not other influential people. What has God said to you, his son or his daughter? What has the God of heaven spoken? And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you, find yourself in the presence of God. Pause, just pause in the presence of God. He's good perfect and pleasing will. I want that for my life. I've seen too much to want anything else. You know what I try to do all the time? I try to do what Jonah did. I try to justify, well, that ship's going to Tarshish. It must be an open door. And I pay my own way. You see, if you keep wanting to go to Tarshish and not to the will of God, you're going to keep paying your own way. And you'll pay with joy and you'll pay with lack of peace, and you'll pay in every way you did not think possible. You will pay the way. Or there's the will of God where he says, I'll pay the way. And you need courage to live at this time? I'll give you courage. You need resources for your children? I'll give you resources for your children. It's going to astonish people. I keep boasting in God's miracle. We've just literally sold a house, and in six and a half weeks, well, it will be six and a half weeks from market on the market to money in the bank, my side, sale, done. I'm more flabbergasted than anyone. The agents, I told them it'll sell in seven days. I lied, it sold in five. Why? Because there's a God. You know what he says? He says, you can test me in this area. You can test me. You think I'm faithful, you can trust me? You can test me. It's not about an abundance of financial, it's about who God is. It's about that, that fact that you and I have access. My kids, Judah, is now petitioning for a PlayStation. You've never met a better salesperson in your life than this 10-year-old. You've never met a more persistent salesperson than this 10-year-old. He's going to be exceptional. But as his parents, it is hard because he keeps coming. But I'd rather that he kept coming because I'm his father. And right now, I'm a picture of a provider in his life. And right now, if as long as he'll keep asking, all I'm asking you is, will you ask him? If you want to know what tonight was called, it was called Restore the Boundary Lines. Because that's what you're called to. But it starts with restoring the boundary lines of your own self. And then we become someone who can restore the boundary lines to our nation as we hear from the presence of our King. Can we stand together? You got something?